all the children were plump and comely, and though some were grimy, all of them were silent and miraculously court-broken, end quote. <laughs> court-broken. Welcome Hello. to episode X. That's right. Episode Cowboy X. Cowboy X. Episode 10. If you didn't know, X is 10 in Roman numerals. Hey, Valerie. Sure. How's it going? How's it going? Um, it's going okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been sick. Yeah. So I'm going to try to make it through. Tis the um, season. Of sickness. Yeah. I feel yeah. like back in the day when it used to be like a Motown weekend on the radio, this is going to be a vocal fry episode. <laughs> vocal Hopefully fry. not, though. Is that one I've of got a hot toddy. So. Vocal fry? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, take it easy. Take it easy on yourself and just stay hydrated. Yeah. Make sure you have at least three... Minimum three I have beverages. three beverages. Good girl. Good girl. <laughs> and maybe a lozenge. I um, do have those too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't have rum as a beverage, no. I'm guessing. Whiskey, hot tea, water. Great. Great. Those are good. Uh, yeah. I realized that even though I teased a detail about rum in our last episode I didn't actually include that detail in the telling of my story and so I just wanted to follow up on that a little bit and let you know that um James Cam if you'll remember he's uh oh yeah one the on dick. the deck list and perhaps number one on the dick list I think he is currently yeah um one of his jobs as like a deck steward was to bring cocktails to the cabins and uh-huh um, Gay Gibson had a standing, like, evening glass of rum order. And oh. one time earlier on the voyage, he had remarked to a colleague, like, oh, I've got half a mind to bring her a lemonade to go with her rum or some shit like that. So, anyway. He's disgusting. <laughs> I know. There's the rum tie-in. There we go. Rum tum. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, did you have any, do you have any follow-ups? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, the timeline twist where we talked about uh, Marlena being possessed, oh. and I turned into a Rudy Huxtable, no, interrupting I you. I was interrupting you, <laughs> stop, shh, shh, I'm speaking. <laughs> well, um, um, you kept saying Marlena was possessed before passions, and you were right, I looked it up. Oh, you So it was up. not the writer... Coming from passions to days. Well, perhaps I think that passions. We're both right because it definitely was an uptick in that storyline, as well as the, like the multiple, like the twins and baby Elvis <laughs> and like Kristen and all that. So, you oh know, yeah, I think uh, you were right about there being a writer who went from passions yes. to days, right? Yeah. Oh. I think so. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for circling back on that. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like you know, as we're um, as we're kind of accumulating some uh, 
material here, we've got a lot of parking lot items, and I think that's going to be something that maybe moving forward we'll have, um, like, uh, a collection of parking lot items as a little bonus episode, maybe. Yeah, just Patreon, possibly. So oh, today, I trying to remember how that song goes. Put up a, put up a parking lot. Are we singing two different songs? What? I was trying to do the Days of Our Lives thing. What was, what, oh. Um, that Pave Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot. <laughs> it's a terrible song, but oh. I mean, to each their own. Isn't that a Joni Mitchell song, though? That just mm. got covered really terribly? Mm. Yes. Yes, you're right. I think Days of Our Lives theme, Joni Mitchell's Paved Paradise mashup is probably better than the... Yeah, yeah, Patreon content. Better than the 90s version of that song. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was so ironical how it was like, it got smoothed out. It sounded like Jack Johnson or something like that. And then like... (laughs) It just got played in malls everywhere. It's like, oh just no, very nineties. <laughs> very nineties. Very. 90s. I don't know what these Gen Zers are into. Uh, I did want to say back to Some our of podcast the 90s. introduction in the nineties. Uh, just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's given us a listen or a thumbs up or a rating or shared us with your friends or yeah. left comments. Um, really, really appreciate it. Uh, this has been really fun for us and it's just Keep really it coming. gratifying to know that it maybe is entertaining a little bit for others. Uh, so thank you. Mm-hmm. Keep it up. Um, we are now available on iHeartRadio in addition to Spotify and CastBox and uh, iTunes. Yeah. So um, let us know where else you'd like to hear us. And yeah, I think you know, we're about ready to get into our second half of 1947. 47. Last week was super fun. Um, except for the parts mm-hmm. that were tragic uh, and scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but for tonight, Valerie, I have one question for you. And no wrong answers, oh. as usual. Uh, so not to put you on the spot, but just what, just first impression. Um, Mulder or Scully? Oh, God, I didn't watch that show. Every time you ask me a question, <laughs> I'm like... I don't even know which one is which. Okay. The the guy or the girl. Mulder is, Agent Mulder is David Duchovny, and he's the one who's like, Mm. he's like the believer. He, you know, he, I want to believe, and the truth is out there, and so he's like, he's always ready to believe the paranormal explanation. Scully is a scientist. She's always like, Mm. hmm. Mulder. The skeptic. Yeah, she's the skeptic. So. I feel like I'm in between them. Like if they had a baby. Belief. Like if they had a little. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's that called? Because I used to believe, and anymore I'm more skeptical. 
and a lot mm. of things. Ghosts in particular. What about like UFOs? Or UAPs? I believe in those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a big ass sky. What about Sasquatch? Yeah. I mean, I could give or take that. I think it'd be cool. I suppose it's possible that we haven't seen every inch of the forest. You know? What if he's like a 5D spiritual being that can uh, disappear and reappear <laughs> at will and likes to make knocking sounds in the woods and whistle sounds? Think maybe that. I, <laughs> don't, okay. I don't know. Okay, no, I think it's good. I think you're probably the scully of this this operation Maybe. and I'm definitely the Mulder and I'm okay, <laughs> okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, that's all I got. Shall we get to all the right, show? All right. Let's get, yeah, let's get, <laughs> get to, to it. your story. I'm looking forward to it. Woo. Doo, 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 All I know is there's a hot toddy in it. That's bad. And it is a game changer. Should have been doing this for years. Are those guest jeans? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I have a story for you. Um, which I, you know, I could say it's a downer, but they all are. <laughs> you know, well. it's a it's a true crime in history podcast so yeah yeah this is that was your idea (laughs) it's my (laughs) fault it's my fault well it's also astrology yeah and mystery Mm mm-hmm and it yeah it may or may not be a cult this is a remains to be seen (laughs) this is just a crime this is just a crime. Yes. It is the last racially motivated, or it's known as the last racially motivated lynching in South Carolina. This mm. is the story and trial of the lynching of Willie Earl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gee, 1947 seems so recent. It does. In some ways, that's pretty effed up well my grandparents were born in 24 all three of them one was born in 25 Mm. so this does seem recent to me yeah for sure and yeah i mean it's just a short time before my parents were born Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah mine too okay i'm gonna try to get through with my voice um sipping this hot toddy so on Saturday night, February 15th, 1947, cab driver Thomas Watson Brown picked up a fare. 24-year-old African-American Willie Earl was attempting to get to his mother's house in Pickens County, South Carolina, which is about 18 miles from Greenville, South Carolina. What Did you say what time it was? Mm. Saturday night. I'm not sure. Oh, nighttime. Nighttime. Night. Dark. Definitely after dark. Okay. 
Um, and I did put some pictures. There is one in particular that I do want you to see. So as I'm talking, make I'll your way. Click, 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 click away. Yeah. Amy is the clicking sounds. I am the whiskey ice in the glass, by the yeah. way. Yeah. I'm high on the internet. She's high on whiskey. Um, okay. So various sources said Brown, um, so Thomas Watson Brown was later found either stabbed and robbed or stabbed and shot, that he was mortally wounded, and lastly, that Willie Earl had allegedly been his last fare. So he's picked up this fare, then he's found mortally wounded. Aww. And that Willie Earl had allegedly arrived at his mother's house on foot. Hmm. Okay. So what we do know for sure is that Willie Earl was arrested the following day at his mother's house. Um, some sources say on circumstantial evidence and others say on no evidence at all. So just to talk a little bit about who each of them were, um, I read a very, very long article in uh, The New Yorker from the time June 14th, 1947 was when it came out, and it's called Opera in Greenville by an English woman named Rebecca West, who stayed in town and attended the trial. Why was she there? Was she, like, just, she's a, covering a, the, a reporter? Covering yeah, a reporter okay. covering the, okay. the trial, and, um... She talks about both Brown and Earl. It's a really long article. But um, Thomas Watson Brown was a cab, Greenville cab driver who had been wounded in the First World War, forcing him into this career uh, so that he could sit down. Um, because if he needed to quit for the day, he could. He could kind of set his hours. Mm -hmm. And because of his injury, he, wanted to, he needed to be able to sit. Um, he was said to be a kind man who would help anyone who was down on their luck. Okay. Um, Willie Earl was an epileptic who had been, he had chosen a career as a truck driver and had been really happy doing that. But when you have epilepsy, that's not a safe occupation. So he did do it, but he hid his epilepsy from his um, employers. Oh, how interesting that, like, for one of them, their disability led them into a driving career, and for the other, it forced them out. Yeah. It's, yeah. So he eventually had an incident. I don't know if it was on the job or not, but his employer found out yeah. that he was an epileptic, and so he they had to fire him. As a result, he became depressed and started drinking. This was known about him. And um, he had to get a job as a construction worker, which he didn't enjoy as much. Um, so that's just to say both of them are kind of dealing with some things. But they're getting on with their life. They're, you know, they're doing what they have to do. So what, what we know of what happened that night, Brown is assaulted and he dies in the hospital. So there was very little evidence of, of Willie Earl's guilt, but he was arrested for the slaying of Thomas Watson Brown on February the 16th, 1947. 
And they put him in the Pickens County Jail to be held for questioning. So he's just arrested the very next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess they had his name as the last fare. Right. I wonder how they tracked that in those days. I don't know. Maybe dispatch kept track or something. I feel like if you, I don't know what it was like in Greenville. Maybe you had to call for a cab and you couldn't just mm. hail a cab. Yeah. It well, must have been like that. Oh. Well, or, yeah, like here, even, I mean, in the last 20 years, you would call for the cab yeah, because yeah. they're not everywhere. Yeah. And you would give your name, so. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, now I can't think about how, like, I'm trying to think of how the theme song for Taxi. Oh, God. Is. I don't remember. Good one, though. Oh, man. Gonna look it up. I'm excited so, about playlists when we develop the band yes. for that. It's gonna be so fun. Me, too. We're gonna have to go back and add songs for all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. So, um, later that evening, a mob of up to 50 men, most arriving in taxi cabs, demanded that the jailer turn Willie Earl over to them and he did. So, they go to the Pickens County Jail. So, somehow a mob got whipped up, and this is like the next day after that, the 16th? Mm-hmm. And uh, the jailer just turned over one of the... Somebody who was in the jail. Okay. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, so Jesus. it was reported in West's article that shortly after they they took him, two phone calls were made by an unknown person, one to the black undertaker of Pickens, telling him there's a dead racial slur in need of his offices and informing him where they could find the body. The second call was to the coroner of Greenville County, whose men found Earl's body on Bramlett Road later that night. Oh, so, my God. Yeah, and I'm just going to quickly describe the bot, like what they found. So if you want to fast forward, go ahead. So according to the New Yorker article, quote, he had been beaten and stabbed and shot in the body and the head. Oh the God. bushes around him were splattered, splashed with his brain tissue. Oh, my God. Quote. Yeah. So I'm going to tell some more details of the evening and the investigation. Um, so 36 hours after Willie Earl's murder, there were still no arrests made. And this fact uh, caused outrage throughout the country. I mean, people heard about it mm. and they were upset and people are calling for something to be done. So finally, the United States Attorney General, Tom C. Clark, sent in the FBI to investigate the lynching causing the locals to freak out about states' rights and government interference. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Familiar. So, as I just said, in the country, there was a different sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, in a 2019 Vice article, 
by Seth Ferranti. Um, he features author and professor emeritus William Gravely, who stated, quote, four and a half days of intense interrogations of the accused was a highly celebrated event that led to many to expect that a new day had come that, that February in the regions and the country's response to lynching. But there were com the complex dynamics behind the scenes, end quote. So the country is, like, we're, we're kind of getting there. There's at least an outrage. People are saying something must be done. They, you can no, no longer get away with this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But. Right, we oh. just won the war for liberty and freedom. Mm-hmm. That's not a good look for us. No, terrible. So well, at least there's that. They had the sense to be outraged. Okay. Yes. So, right. The the greater country is calling for something to be done. And so the FBI is brought in. They get statements from approximately 26 men. They indicted somewhere around 31 for murder. These numbers should be exact, but there are so many sources that have different numbers on how many people were questioned and how many people were indicted, um, somewhere around those numbers. And numbers, are, numbers, I always right. say. Yeah. I just, I don't have access to the archives, you know? I mean, Roman numerals, Roman numerals, I always yeah. say. Yeah, exactly. Who needs zero <laughs> when you can just invent a new... Letter for every placeholder of a t place of 10. That's right. Um, Letters, numbers. I'm not obsessed. So they, <laughs> they are indicted for conspiracy to commit murder. A big group of them. I was like, um, who's they? <laughs> it's a huge number of, of defendants. Like ar around, I believe it's 28. Is it the, the J6 choir? <laughs> yeah. yeah and um and accessory before or after the fact so murder conspiracy to commit oh what do you think it's like to be a part of a mob Ugh. Ah. it feels gross to me to even like imagine it okay so they they brought these people in they get statements the, the fbi gets statements and the statements describe a ringleader named Mr. Roosevelt Carlos Hurd. Um, he was making calls from the Bluebird Cab office to other taxi cab agencies in Greenville asking oh. how many men wanted to come along. Interesting. The cabbies looking out for each other, it's, apparently. Or yes. Looking for a fight and a reason for a fight, perhaps. Yes. Eventually, 15 cars lined up. All but one were taxi cabs. Was Andy Kaufman there? <laughs> no, thank God. Oh, God. These are the bad guys. <laughs> um, yeah, so the men, so all these taxi cabs, 15 cars, all but one are taxi cabs. They go to the Pickens County Jail. One of the cabs shined its lights upon the door, and they called out to the jailer, Mr. Ed Gilstrap. 
And he, <laughs> yeah. He put up no fight at all and handed over the keys. His only request was that the group not curse in case his wife heard them. Oh, fuck no. And did you hear about this fucking one? I know. What a dick. He's, so he's oh, well. by himself, though, and his wife lives there. Like, I'm sure I, he's very afraid. Very, very afraid. That's a terrifying yeah. situation. So West, the, the, the reporter that was on the scene from the New Yorker, she talks about this in her article. Um, she's kind of defending the jailer by pointing out he's facing a mob of 50 men. Oh, my God. His wife is on the premises because they live there. Um, you know, could he gotten he have gotten past them with the keys and his wife? Would they have burned down the jail if he had le- left, you know? Um, oh, what a life. I want to marry the jailer and live at the jail. Yeah, yeah. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, so, oh but God. then again, he knows he knows what they're going to do, you know? Right. Um, yeah. There's not a lot of honor in his actions, although they may be understandable, like very understandable. It's hard to say. I don't think that's what we, you know, entrust our jailers if in the, in the sense that there's any sort of honor to (laughs) that, which is a whole nother conversation, but right. And it's in the context of 1947, you know? It's like a law enforcement officer, basically, mm-hmm. and that's not really protecting or serving. Well, and I don't know what kind of oaths he took, but. Um, in the context it's of where he was, though, you know, like we were saying, to get a cab, you have to call and give your name. Like he's in a s- smallish town at right. the jail. Um, I did read in the article, like, there weren't really. It was kind of set apart. There wasn't... He couldn't yell for help for other people. Um, I just think, though, if you're going to specify, like, no cussing, because, like, that's somehow offensive to the Lord, but, like, mm, not choosing to do the courageous or right thing when it comes to another human being's life. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that is what I'm trying to say. Like, that's not... That's not the same. It's there too. It's not the same equivalency. Well, same, like, wait. <laughs> let me add this. Um, so this is something I didn't include in my notes, but this woman West interviewed the jailer um, sometime during or you know before the trial, and he showed up with this huge gash on the top of his head, and um, she asks what happened, and he said that they had three. Um, inmates tried to get out and one of them bashed him over the head. Oh my God. He shot all three of them. Um, one died and I think one, two, maybe two died. I don't remember, but one was was in the hospital. This incident? It was after the incident and before the trial. But he says to her, um, I wish I would have killed him because he's the one that hit me over the head. So this man had, I don't know if that, is that self-defense also? Like, anyway, it's just more to add to, like, who this person is. Like, he shot three people, and he said, I wish I would have killed the guy that's now in the hospital, because he's the one that did this to my head. Um, Well, that's just horrifying, and yeah, I mean, what a traumatic job 
Mm-hmm. But I still feel like just it's the hypocrisy of the whole the, the whole time. Yeah. Well, we don't have to have the right answer, but you right. know, I know it's a right. uh, it's a lot to think about, like a lot to figure out. Like, what would you have done? Um. Anyway, the 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 outside world outside of Greenville, he was strongly criticized and called a coward, the jailer. Like he was yeah. not popular when this came out. Yeah. So. Well, I have compassion. I also surely would not. I don't know how I would behave in that situation. I know I, it would be a literal hell if that were my job. They would have killed him probably to get to him or injured him at least. Sure. A anyway, yeah. There's more about what might have happened later, but so the mob drove Willie Earl away. And the statements they gave say that they tried to get a confession out of him. That's what they're all saying. We just wanted him to confess to killing Thomas Watson Brown. Um, within the statements, most of the men are admitting to hearing and seeing things happen to Earl, Willie Earl, but none admit to actually actively doing any of it. You know, right. it's a classic, uh -huh. like, uh -huh. I heard someone shout and I saw someone strike and yeah um in these reports earl is reported to have said quote lord you done killed me end quote fucking heartbreaking and this is familiar <laughs> yeah um right what were they gonna do with this confession when they got it from right. him yeah, <laughs> that doesn't seem like it would hold up in a court of law. No. Um, and yeah, wouldn't that just encourage them to? I mean, they're bent on murdering this person. Exactly. Yeah. They're all whipped up in groupthink, and you know they got beef. And they don't expect to be prosecuted. Like they have no, they have zero expectation. Of punishment. Right. Why shouldn't the rules be like they used to be? Right. Okay, so moving on to the trial. Uh, the trial began on May 5th, 1947, in the Greenville County Courthouse. And according to the Greenville County Courthouse historical marker, <laughs> it was the largest lynching trial in U.S. history. That was a throwback to you and your childhood, Amy Jo. I'm just picturing this one as more of like a teal or like, mm -hmm. yeah, if it's the classic. Go to your pack, happy it's place. A green, it's a yeah. green marker. Maybe yeah. it's because it's Greenville. Yeah. That's probably it. That's where we need to go. Cause I need to do some coloring. I'm sad. This is not a happy story. <laughs> I'm sad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the judge sounded like a good guy. Um the judge was J. Robert Martin Jr. Um, however, the makeup of the jury, can you guess? Well, was it diverse and representative of the population <laughs> of Greenville, South Carolina at, time, at the time? Sure. Okay. If you mean 12 white men. Mm, angry white men? Mm. Probably, yeah. I mean, <laughs> is there any other kind? 
There actually is many other kinds. Yes. And anger is healthy. I'm not saying that. For sure. You shouldn't have it. But yeah, a uh, jury of your peers. Uh -huh. Right. That's what it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah. So all but three of the defendants were taxi drivers. The others were a salesman, a restaurant proprietor, and a member of a wealthy mill-owning family. God, was it one of those Do mills? Mills mills, mills I don't know. <laughs> General Millie? Ah. That's what jumped out at me. <laughs> <laughs> Milliners. I mean, uh, I hope not, because these are the bad guys. So, anyway, in a total break from the norm, they allowed the defendants to sit with their families Mills during the trial. Mm. Yeah. Normally, well, like, you know, they're at the yeah. defendant's table, but there were like 28 of them. So, could have just been for room, but the locals who were against the actions of the defendants, you know, the anti-lynching people, uh, thought this oh. was to elicit Those sympathy. Are my people. From the jury. Um, oh, yeah. Because it humanized them. It's highly unusual from what I've seen on Oxygen Network. So <laughs> right. Just saying. You don't... They have to be at on display with their attorney. Uh, yeah. And it wouldn't be for room because that's adding more people in to the mix, not taking people away. You know well, what I mean? Like... They could put the first two rows are for all the defendants, and then the oh, audience right. could be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. They don't need to be, like, in the pews with their family. Yeah. So Whatever. West, which is my major source, um, she described them as, quote, this is the families, um, young women, for the most part very young women, in bright cotton and rayon dresses, their curled hair wild about them, a number of these wow. women had brought their children with them. One oh, no. had five scrambling over her. Oh, my God. And Brigham Young was like, yo, <laughs> excuse me. If you expect any of these learned men to be able to speak and be heard, you're going to need to take that child. And if you Punch so much it. as think that you deserve to be in this courtroom, I don't know where you got the idea that you need to hear these words. You should... Take your children out of here. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, she does her oh. neck. The next line. Sometimes I get a channel thing going with Brigham Young or George Washington or. I know. She says dick. the same shit, kind of, but it's a compliment. <laughs> well, she says, uh, continuing the quote: "All the children were plump and comely, and though some were grimy." All of them were silent and miraculously court broken, end quote. <laughs> court broken. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to ask my dad, the judge, about that term if he's uh, heard slash or used. Did you ever that. see any grimy but court broken? Yeah. How, little what children? percentage of the children you saw in court were court broken? I mean, so gross. But. This writing, her article is from 47. This is a contemporary, I, you know, bird's, not bird's eye, eye on the street. What is that called? When you're in it? Um, when, when you're right where's, there? Where's Waldo? I spy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. There's a term. Um, word on the street. Yeah. 
I and there's something okay. else I'll talk about. Her she's her pro her writing is a little bit problematic, but yeah. It was nineteen forty seven, man. Um, so this is also a segregated courthouse. So um all blacks who were in attendance, I mean, this is a huge deal for them. Oh this is one of the first times that they're actually getting a prosecution and it's a and it's a whole mob. But they had to be in the balcony. And um, originally, there were a couple of members from the black press from the north in attendance. And they sat with the press people in the regular part of the courthouse. But it became sort of a weird distraction. Um, There's a lot more in the article. I'm not going to go completely into it. But in the end, they decided to go up with the black citizens in the balcony, but yeah. So the defendants in this case, uh, the lynch mob, were represented by Thomas A. Wofford and John Bolt Cumbert- Culbertson, um, who was described as a well-regarded attorney who fought for the emancipation of blacks, addressed them as Mr., Mrs., or Miss, and who would actually shake their hands. Wow. Give him a cookie. I guess. Yeah. Like. Yeah. No, I mean, that's. Barf. Is that from that article? <laughs> yes. In the time. Yeah. 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 Yep. The times. Right. Um, so in court, Colbertson was excessively animated and spoke like an orator. He was said to have <laughs> deepened his southern accent. That's so redundant. Just like just he spoke excessively animated no, and spoke like an orator. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I it makes yeah, me laugh. It's okay. Yeah. He orated yeah, like a well, speaker this... as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Rhetorically. Yes. Well. Sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Oh, my God. Well, I'm just laughing. (laughs) And I, it's not a good time for me to be laughing. Sorry. (laughs) Mm. Oh, my. Like, yeah, this hot toddy is saving me, though. Okay. Um, Yes. So he, he was said to have deepened his southern accent. He was referring to the defendants as, quote, these southern boys. Is it like Phil Hartman as the caveman lawyer? <laughs> caveman lawyer? Yes, kind of. I mean. I'm just a simple caveman lawyer. I'm just the, these are simple southern boys. <laughs> I love it. I love a dream. You know, the law and the drama, they're so close related they are yes Mm -hmm. they're so close Uh, uh, yes i rest my case (laughs) i do too yeah i can't think of any yeah the answer is yes um so yes these southern boys even though only a few could be considered boys these are grown men how many of them were grown men zero they're not handsome they sound ugly oh the dome boys were in 
Pennsylvania. <laughs> they could have migrated. Their their progeny they probably migrated down to South Carolina, but they were not That's part of right. this mob. They were steal. They're pacifists for one, mm. and they are busy stealing flour from the rich to give That's to right. the poor to to create <laughs> Mitt Romney. <laughs> oh God! Okay, I can't laugh. Can't laugh during this one. I'll start choking. Smith reached into his top hat and pulled out a golden rabbit. West described how they use the courtroom Bible as a prop in their dramatics. Oh, hell Uh, yeah, like Gallagher. Yeah, get ready for this. Um, Stating the Bible's, quote, quietest hours are when it's being sworn upon. At any other time, it is likely to be snatched up from the small stand on which it rests and waved in the air, held to an attorney's breast, thrust out over the jury box, and hurled back to its resting place in a convulsion of religious ecstasy. Some of the Bible tossing in this case was inspired by sincere conviction, but it looked as if a great deal was done in cold sacrilege to impress the jury who were assumed to be naively pious, end quote. Whoa, okay. So they're I like being, your style. I like your style. I'm being dramatic. Use what you got, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a persuasive argument that you're making. Right, but this is the defense attorney, so he's a dick. He might, he's not at the top of the dick list, but he is a dick. So, defense attorney Culbertson argued that the case was only being prosecuted for a larger national political reasons, and uh-huh. as noted noted in West's article, quote, <sighs> he pointed to the press table and declared that because of this fussy insistence on the investigation <laughs> of a murder, there was now a trial to which northern papers had sent representatives and the implication was that they had come for the purpose of mocking and insulting the South. Ooh, you know what? In general. That's so weird. I've been noticing that in our country there's like a weird thing about like a lot of people seem to like have like a chip on their shoulder. Like whole groups of people have a chip on their shoulder kind of like that. Like they're like, uh, they think they're better than us. And it makes them like, what's that word? Like aggrieved. And, like, I'm kind of worried that we're (laughs) headed for trouble on that topic. We could be headed for (laughs) trouble. It's just, like, everybody calm down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. These reporters are not there to shove it in your face, Jimbo. No. (laughs) Yeah. Just calm down, everyone. No, there's no calming down. You know why? Because... Doomsday clock. Yeah. Tick, 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 tick. Cuckoo. Uh-huh. Yeah. For reals. So What the month rep- was this? This was July? This is May. Okay, this is May. But it's in the South, so that's hot, right? Just saying. That's also part of the climate. It's hot. Everybody's already got their fans out. It's, and you know it's not it's a dry humid. heat. Yeah, it's a humid yeah. heat. Which they say it's wor- it's worse if it's a moist heat. Right. Yeah, well, 
What they say is, um, you're oh, you're going somewhere. Yeah, but it's a dry heat. And I'm like, fuck you, that's still hot. I haven't heard it that way. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> they always, of course, say it that way. That's, but it's a dry heat. It's still hot. Yeah. I mean, I like hot. I also than feel cold, like, but anyway. Well, two things. Paradox of living in the Pacific Northwest. The air <laughs> yeah. is so oddly dry. Like I'm con- like I constantly yeah, need to moisturize. Weird. The humidity outside is like 100 percent because the sky is literally liquid. Um, so that I don't get, and um, I feel like Kansas doesn't get the credit it deserves for actually experiencing humidity. Like oh, you know yeah, it's we have that. Humid. There and it's also legit a winter, like a terrible, uh-huh. frigid winter, and it has all of it. So I've been sick for or struggling for about seven days, and also in that amount of time, I haven't seen the sun. So a couple days ago, when we were talking, I think it was a zodiac back where you were like twenty-one oh, yeah. years of Uranus night or or I know what day, a nightmare. and I was like, I'll take night. No. no. See? No. You want vitamin D too. <laughs> I'm dying. Wow. This is, it's getting lighter and lighter. The sun is coming back. So. Mm-hmm. We've almost made it through January, which is the longest six months of the year. Yeah, it's amazing. I can't wait till I can walk Elvis again. Oh, yeah. Anyway. I was gonna, sorry. I'm going to put a pin in this right now and just need to, to tell you, like, I I found I found this TikTok that was like, I think it's so interesting that um, there's this precise moment when consumption became tuberculosis and, like, consumption used to be hot and it was like a wasting disease and it was considered genetic and like it made you like thin and like poetic and then like they discovered germs and then it became tuberculosis and it was like it got a bad reputation anyway so i think it was like in the 1880s so i feel like i'm gonna have to follow up on that um yeah because consumption is hilarious yeah i feel like i have it yeah, you've got the consumption. Okay, <laughs> back to the story. Um, so these representatives that he was talking about that came to mock and insult the South, he's referring to the magazines that are there. So Time is Time magazine is there. Life magazine is there. And The New Yorker, which is West, who I keep referring to. Okay. Um, among others, including the black press from the North, which I mentioned earlier. So, though the judge had ruled that the, there should be no mention of the national climate between whites and blacks, nothing racial at all should be talked about during the trial. You know, they can say, this can't come into evidence, we're not talking about this, this isn't part of it. Um... Colbertson slipped in the racial climate any time that he possibly could. So, 
In a passage in her article, West described, and this is a long one, and there's three different people, so I'm going to do my best. Uh, quote, he went into his crouching stance. His hands were spinning. He shone with frosty glee. Exultantly, he cried, Willie Earl is dead, and I wish more like him was dead. There was a delighted, giggling, almost coquettish response from the defendants and some of the spectators. There was a gasp from others of a different mind. Thunderously, the judge called him to order. You confine yourself to my ruling or I'll stop you from arguing to the jury. Culbertson, smiling at the defendants, almost winking at them, said, I didn't refer to Willie Earl as a Negro. When the judge bade him be careful, he continued, still flirting with his audience, there's a law against shooting a dog, but if a mad dog were loose in my community, I would shoot the dog and let them prosecute me. End quote. <clears throat> he is comparing Willie Earl to a mad dog. Basically, he's trying of to course. say this whole thing is justified. Yeah, dehumanizing. Yeah. Um, well, I just want to say, like, aside from the horrible content of that, like, bravo, very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Nice traumatic reading. Thank um, you. Thank you. Sick. Yeah. Isn't that sick? Yeah. It's making me think about the term dog whistle. Mm. Um gross yeah i mean i do i i find all these tangents that i want us to go on um but yeah let me get to let me get to the end here so another aside during the trial a fellow taxi driver mr ug fowler testified as a witness that he had gotten a call to join this group of men but he had refused <gasps> UG, so yes. Yeah, UG Fowler. Um, he testified during the trial. He was later chased down on a local country road, beaten and threatened. Oh, yeah. So when he brought his own case and a judge denied, local judge denied his request to issue a warrant for his assailants, who he knew, mm -hmm. he left town. Oh, so. Yeah. He got run this out of town. This is also the climate. Yeah. Which, yeah, like when we were talking about the jailer. Right. Like if he went against them. Gives you some compassion for. Uh, right. Some further compassion for the jailer and the position that he was in. Like, um, Yeah, God. What a nightmare existence. Because um, mm -hmm. even if you want to fight back. Yeah. The. Yeah. This is why when. Yeah, when my uncle asked me if I was if I could push a button and go back to any decade in history, would I? I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Not only no, but hell yeah, no. Yeah, I was like, no, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Absolutely not. As complicated and scary and challenging and ninety seconds from midnight, our world is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is, this yeah. seems worse. Seems worse if you're anyone other than, like, 
Right. Middle class, white, male. Mm-hmm. And even that doesn't sound very good. Which is an accident of birth. But, you know, like, yeah. No, like, it, your, your status in society, sure, but, like, I don't necessarily think that that experience was positive either. Like, that, the, mm. you know, there's a lot of... Well, yeah. There's a lot of trauma and no... Uh, no safe space, <laughs> as right. they say, to um, have any other emotion besides anger and or to oh, express. Oh, for sure. You know. Anyway, um, it's okay. It's not 1947. There's <laughs> no gonna, place like 2024. There's no place like 2024. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like back to the future. <laughs> You're safe here in good old... 2024. I even have the voice for it right now. (laughs) (laughs) She's supposed to sound tired. Mm. Okay. Yeah, you got that. Yeah, I feel like, uh, is it Kathleen Turner? (laughs) Is that the moonlighting? Yeah. I could get real low. (laughs) Oh, that wasn't Kathleen Turner and moonlighting, though. Who? Well, it's her name. Oh. Wait, okay, then who? Well, well it's Kathleen not Candace Turner? Bergen either, but that's who just popped into my head. No. That's Murphy Brown. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, who was it in Moonlighting? Bruce Willis and da ba da 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 da. She's not the one with the super low voice, no, though. No. Kathleen Turner is yes. the one with the super low voice. Yes. Okay. Well, I know she was in, she wasn't, she was in Romancing the Stone. Yeah. That's like 80s. Oh, Google. Yeah. Anyway, okay. This is a very sad story, and we're... I know. I keep trying to get us off topic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's light-ish from here. We just get to have outrage. Oh, good. I'm not sure I have the energy, but that's okay. I just almost got it. Well, oh. Sybil Shepard. Oh, yeah, that's the moonlighting. <laughs> Sybil Shepard. I'm talking about the low voice. That's solidarity Turner. now. That's Kathleen. With my low voice ladies. Catherine Hepburn, too, I think. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, God. Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just feeling, I'm feeling my low voice ladies tonight. Let me take some more hot toddy. Hold on. <laughs> So, um, last week we talked about defense attorneys and how their job is to throw everything at the wall and see what sticks, kind of, like. Um, but these guys, so... D, D, defense, D, 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 defense. Oh my god, that was so good. Ultimately, the defense blamed... Ready for the list? Are you ready? Okay, okay, okay. Was it video games? (laughs) MTV, video games. Uh, They blamed the FBI. They blamed the North. The whole of the North. They blamed Washington, D.C. for the case even being prosecuted at all. Yeah. Um, Most of all, against the judge's instruction... They implied the lynching was justified, i.e. the mad dog quote. So, the defendants were charged with murder and conspiracy. None of their statements admitted to murder, but most admitted to the conspiracy. 
The jury convened on the afternoon of May 21st. After five hours and 13 minutes, they returned a verdict of not guilty on all counts. Okay, I just, like, I just have to go back to one of those uh, justifications that the, that it was, the murder was, that it was justified because he was a mad dog or whatever, like. That was just that, part of their defense, that, yeah. That he deserved to die, right? Yeah. Like, this is the essence of it. This um, is the way we do it here. That's This is a conspiracy against the South. Yeah, yeah, no, the, uh, that's not how, you are not, that's, yeah, human you're life. saying that, um, the, I don't know, mob rule is the determinant of, um, someone's fate. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's just, I don't know. It, I'm not going to be able to articulate how it's fucked up that is. But, like, something that's just... that we're able to understand because although 47 does not feel that long ago for us, right. it's not something that we've lived through, you know? And Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's... So during, during this trial and after the verdict... This was not surprising. Like, no one was surprised. Um, Also, because none of the jurors would take a chance to vote not guilty, um, given the things that we've discussed. If any of them had voted for a conviction, they would have had to live in fear that their fellow residents or a fellow juror would betray them. Sure. And they'd be run out of town. Um. Although the press was sure of an acquittal, the defendants were described by the press as appearing scared when they were brought in for the verdict, which is maybe the grossest detail of all. Like, they knew they weren't going to be convicted, but they're acting all like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, go fuck yourself, please. Well, like, and I'm just imagining them still with their families and, like, having their mommies and daddies holding their hands. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's... So, get the pictures ready, because I want you to look at something in a second. Um, All right, clickety-clack. Yeah. West uh, noted when the judge, who, remember I said the judge seemed cool, when the judge read the verdict to himself, his face flushed, And as soon as the clerk read the verdicts aloud, he got up and walked out without thanking the jury. He just peaced out. He was like, you guys are gross. I'm fucking out of here. Who was that? The The judge. Oh, the judge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He is cool. You guys are all gross. Yeah. So the defendants, their families, and their supporters were ecstatic. They celebrated it in such a way that it was described as them acting like they were in a honky-tonk. Can you find the picture that says the shitbags celebrating? Oh, I see one that's called Asshats Celebrate JPEG. Yeah, there it is. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that looks like a party I never want to go to, and Mm -hmm. all that's missing are the, like, white... uh, 
cloaks and hoods. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And it, there's. Yeah. It's like the worst kind of party. There's nothing fun about this. Mm mm. It's so sad. <sighs> Grody to the maximum. Yeah. So I'm just going to wrap this up. Um, before we forget about poor Thomas Watson Brown, um, I right. did have, there was a quote in Wes's article about him. Uh, I'm just going to, yeah. Quote, a Greenville resident who could be trusted told me, meaning West, that in the course of some social service work, he had come across a taxi driver and his wife who had suffered exceptional, exceptional misfortune and that he had been most impressed by the part that Brown had played in helping them get on their feet again. You could quite fairly say, this resident told me, that Brown was an outstanding man who was a good influence on these taxi boys and always tried to keep them out of trouble. Lynching is just the sort of thing he wouldn't have let them get into. Oh, end quote. Yeah. Well, that's so, super tragic. I stumbled through that quote, but I felt like it was important because this poor guy... Had he been right. alive still, maybe none of this would have happened. Right, and, and who knows what actually happened. Like, what actually right. went down, we'll never know now because they... They don't know. ...lynched the one person who had was apparently the last was, fair right. and... Yeah. Um, well, that's... Yeah. I like to hear about um, Brown being a... Yeah, and you you saw the picture of his sweet little face. Yeah. Yeah. He's just an injured, you know, guy who's trying to get through his life. Um, So this story... Just sit down. Give him a fucking break. Right, and take breaks. Yeah. Quit when his body is tired. Yeah. It's all any of us actually fucking need. Deserve. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Capitalism. (laughs) yeah 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 so just the tiniest little bit here this story is like i said known as the last racially motivated lynching in south carolina but as we talked about the thing that he said as he was dying that you know racially motivated killings are still happening in 77 years later so just saying uh lynching is Defined as being killed by a mob or group, with or without a trial, and that's I feel like still happening. We don't call it a lynching anymore, but no. this case specifically, even though it was very disappointing, was seen immediately as setting a precedent, at least for the South, and yeah. um, that you could possibly be prosecuted or brought to trial, and. Um, Right, there has to be a first, and and it has to crack open mm-hmm. the the paradigm or the schema for everybody to like. Oh, okay. This Maybe is... I can't get away with this anymore. Yeah, and yeah. that first time, sure, all that all those theatrics, um, paid off. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't yeah. mean that it will continue in that vein, and it's clearly not. 
we don't like when that's not the state of our courts today i hope i think i don't know yeah i mean part. it's not the same as then it's not no. i you know. served a on jury duty earlier this year or last year and I have to say it was a very affirming experience I had an awesome time um it was you know it was a beautiful experience and a lot of diverse people that I never would have gotten to know um and the you know the judge yeah. gave some really beautiful I thought instructions and highlighted how this is like one of the last kind of venues where people come together with the express intent to work things out in a peaceful manner and to come to agreement and like I just think they should teach consensus decision making in school (laughs) they should teach well yeah, uh, you know a lot of I stuff. Should teach a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, civics and things like that yeah. too. But yeah, it was. Um, I had a blast. I have to say, and um, it yeah. gave me a lot of renewed hope um, because even though I disagreed with a lot of my fellow jurors at different points, we all we had the fortune of having a pretty clear case, uh, right? Um, which maybe I'll. We can do a, I a feel like bonus episode be. sometime about it because it was pretty interesting. I about would love that. Criminal menacing. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> With a baseball yeah. bat, so it's got sports, which is like my favorite. Um, so according to Wikipedia, last little bit, in, in 1950, uh, so a few years later, attorneys for the NAACP Won a $3,000 settlement for Willie Earl's family, which is 41000 today. I don't feel like that's enough. That seems, yes. But, well, but, yeah. They did they did get some money, and the case right. set a precedent. And, I mean, South Carolina still has on their markers, like, this is the last, you know, racially motivated lynching and the largest lynching case ever. So they're at least marking it for what it was. I don't know if that's. I think that's you know. valuable. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. That matters. Well, that's anyway. A... That's my wow. story. Okay. Thank you. Good story. Mm-hmm. 1947. Good job. Way to stay hydrated. I know. My this hot toddy saved me. That's like. Saved my ass. Vocal folds. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well. Zodiac Bayak? Yeah. 1947 is taking shape. It's kind of sad. But the uh, Zodiac Bayak is going to take a broader perspective and hopefully um, yeah. zoom so us far, out enough so that we don't have to feel so many feelings. We said <laughs> last time that the year felt like the word was yeah, uh-huh. And I still agree. Mm-hmm. But maybe we'll change it um, after the Zodiac back. Maybe not. Let's see. I don't know. Maybe we'll shove it right straight out that porthole. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> too soon? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. 
Welcome to 1947, a very highly strange time. Um, tense is the word. Tense, yes. Instead of grease is the word. <sighs> well, <laughs> when was John Travolta born? Maybe Ooh, I don't want to know. know. He wasn't in the 47s. No, just he sprung forth fully formed from a oh, roll of Raytheon rap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so 1947, I was like, obviously I'm obsessed with a paranormal phenomena and, uh, it's a classic year. And so I was like, I'm just going to research what is the astrology of UFOs or UAPs. So that's what our Zodiac back is going to be about tonight. Remind me, UAP, Uh, aerial phenomena? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. For episode X files, I decided that <laughs> I went. I don't like it being X because it makes me think of Elon. <laughs> well, it's episode. I think 10. he has to pay us every time we say it. That's so, right. <laughs> um, episode ten in Roman numerals. To start us off tonight, just get to get us in the mood. This is from um, from the website called X Files Fandom. This is from an episode of the X Files from season six called "The Unnatural," um, which is a take on the natural, which is a baseball thing, apparently. Yeah. Um, and this was an episode. I think it was the first one written by David Duchovny. Who okay. played Mulder? Who is the? Um, he is the. The mystic. He is the. He's the believer. Right. He's, he's yeah. chasing these paranormal. He's all in. Yeah, and then Scully is the one who's the skeptic. Scully, Mulder. It is such a gorgeous day outside. Have you ever entertained the idea of trying to find life on this planet, Mulder? Still looking at the record book. I've seen life on this planet, Scully, and that is exactly why I'm looking elsewhere. Scully opens a paper bag she is carrying and removes a paper-wrapped frozen dessert. This gets Mulder's attention. Mulder. Did you bring enough ice cream to share with the rest of the class? Scully, smugly, beginning to eat. It's not ice cream. It's non-fat tofuti rice dreamsicle. Mulder, returning to his book. Ugh, bet the air in my mouth tastes better than that. You sure know how to live it up, Scully. (coughs) (laughs) Scully, stepping down and continuing to eat. Oh, you're Mr. Live It Up, Mulder. You're really Mr. Squeeze every last drop out of this sweet life aren't you? On this precious Saturday, you've got us grabbing life by the testes, stealing reference books from the FBI library in order to go through New Mexico newspaper obituaries for the last for the years 1940 to 1949. And for what joyful purpose? Mulder, looking for anomalies, Scully, Do you know how many so-called flying disc reports there were in New Mexico in the 1940s? (laughs) 
Scully. I don't care, Mulder. This is a needle in a haystack. These poor souls have been dead for 50 years. Let's let them rest in peace. Let sleeping dogs lie. Mulder. No, I won't sit idly by as you hurl cliches at me. Preparation is the father of inspiration. <clears throat> Scully. Necessity is the mother of invention. Mulder. The road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. Scully. Taking another bite. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Mulder. I scream, you scream. We all scream for <laughs> non-fat tofu rice dream sickles. <laughs> so, that's just to set the scene. <laughs> I'm with Mold, M- Mulder on yeah. this one. Yeah, why not? Tofu-dee. No. So, 1947... Mulder reference there. Do you know how many, you know, flying disc sightings there were between 1940 right. and 1949? That's what we're going to talk a about a lot. Like, it was the yeah. heyday of it, right? Yeah. So. Weren't the hills in this? Um, actually, they were in the 60s. That was like 1960, oh, okay. early 60s, okay. I think. Okay. Yeah. The, that was All the right. first abduction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was, um, that we'll was save not. that for, for our 60s. Yeah. Episodes. All right. Uh, we are welcoming you back to the Zodiac Bag, 1947, astrology of the world events, politics, and historical cycles. Um, 1947, we have our usual check-in with the planetary action, the um, astro- astrological action of that year. Um, and I'm just going to kind yes. of breeze through here. We've got Pluto in Leo it, from 12 to 14 of Leo. We've got Neptune from 10 to 13 of Libra. And mm-hmm. we have Uranus in Gemini from 18 to 23. So Pluto is in a fire sign. Neptune is in an air sign. Uranus is in an air sign. Um Saturn that year was in Leo, which is another fire sign, the same fire sign as Pluto. Mm-hmm. So there was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Leo that year uh, because Saturn moved from 7 to 22 degrees and Pluto was only from 12 to 14. So at some point during that year, I didn't look it up, but Saturn and Pluto were con- in a conjunction, the aspect of a conjunction. Um, Wait, because they were in the same sign? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. Not the same degree. Uh, they were at the same degree. At some point, because during that year, mm, Sa- mm, Saturn mm. moved from sa- seven to got you twenty-two. Okay, sorry, but Pluto was just from twelve to fourteen. So at some point, Saturn moved over somewhere right. between twelve and fourteen, 12 and, and was 14. exactly conjunct Pluto, but. Um, Sorry, I've been sick. Oh, no, no. Good good cue. I was breezing through super fast. Um, But that's like a good question because like there's the exact moment of an aspect where they're exactly at the same degree and same minute, whatever. But there's also what's called the orb, which is the the kind of like um, boundaries where the effects of the aspects start to come into effect. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. 
that kind of depends on what the aspect is and what the planets are, but, um, you know, it can be up to 13 degrees uh, or, mm. or, or bigger uh, or, or smaller, you know, so it's Where not... you ex- start to feel it. Yeah, you'll start to feel it, like, um, <clears throat> so we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, but this year, Jupiter moved from... 20 degrees of Scorpio all the way to like mid Sagittarius 14 degrees and okay. the north node moved from 11 degrees of Gemini to 20 degrees of Taurus so um, moved from an air sign back into an earth sign so this year we had eclipses and we only had four of them like a normal like a normal year because it was totally normal 1947 Standard, everything's regular. fine everybody's like back from the war it's all cool we're just gonna have a cold war now everything's fine mm-hmm. only four eclipses Mar- uh, may 20th we had a total solar eclipse in taurus june 3rd and 4th third fourth we had a partial lunar eclipse in Sagittarius I say third fourth because of time zones and sometimes an eclipse or an event will happen late in you know at 11 p.m. on the west coast of USA and therefore the next day elsewhere Um, so you get the picture I don't know maybe you do I don't necessarily understand time zones but I kind of like just I have a couple of like uh, landmarks and I just kind of like go with it and I feel like I get it. Like I'm way better with military time than I am with like time zones. Um, Oh, I'm the opposite. Military time is so simple. It's just add 12. It's, but like. Mm, It's math. Yeah. It's bigger math than. <laughs> Just because the quantities are. The West Coast is two hours behind me, and the East Coast is an hour ahead. See, that's time isn't real, so that makes it harder for me. <laughs> like counting the hours of a day. Just two different methods of counting. That's simple. London is six hours ahead. Well, that's why we're a good team. Uh, <laughs> then November twelfth, we had a an annular solar eclipse in Scorpio and a, in November 27th, 28th, we had a penumbral lunar eclipse in Gemini. Some other episode, we're going to go deep dive into eclipses and, and learn all about it, but yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, I did want to mention that these are from timeanddate.com, which is an awesome website. It's really fun to go poke around there. They have, um, a visualization of the eclipse path, like where it's visible um, over the world and um, in what countries are like over what oceans and stuff and the exact hours and stuff. It's really detailed oh, website. I need that. Yeah. It's not astrology. It's astronomy. And um, unfortunately it only goes back to 1900 with these vis- visualizations or like lists of eclipses for the years so Whatever. when we've covered other years and i've listed these eclipses i've had to use something called an ephemeris and i wanted to introduce that to you all today that an ephemeris is like a listing of every day of the years um and the mm-hmm. positions of the planets um, and so 
I have an eph- a physical book of an ephemeris that is um, the American ephemeris from 1950 to 2050. And when I received this book in the mail after ordering it, I was so excited to open it up. <clears throat> and I showed it to my children and I was like, you guys, I can see the future. And they were not duly yeah. impressed. Um, but it's a really they didn't very care. cool tool. And in the days before the internet, people had to draw up their own astrology charts and I don't know how to do that, but I'm excited to learn someday, <laughs> but, um, just be grateful that you have websites like timeanddate.com or you yeah. can get an ephemeris dating back to like the ancient thousands of years, prehistoric time online. Um, or you can drop a chart be for grateful. anything that you want for free kids it didn't used to be Quit this complaining, easy. people. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bad things in the world, but this is one good thing. Okay, so next I want to talk about aspects, um, because we're going to be discussing some different aspects tonight. Um, but we covered the basic aspects in astrology, which are the conjunction, which is the most powerful one, which is when they're together, two planets, yeah, two points are together. Each other yeah. Up conjunction the sextile the square the trine the opposition um there are other aspects and sometimes they're called the minor aspects minor aspects come into play as the outer planets kind of hold their relative positions especially like pluto and neptune as we've discussed Mm -hmm. like pluto has this elliptical orbit and so at different points of the zodiac it's moving faster or slower and so there are points at which it kind of locks into a relationship with the planet neptune which spends 14 years in every sign it's got a more regular Mm -hmm. orbit but there are times when pluto and neptune are kind of moving trucking along at the same speed for like decades in 1947 we had um Pluto was in Leo, which is a fire sign, and Neptune was in Libra, which is an air sign. So a sextile is a relationship between two signs that share um, a compatibility in their elements. So a fire sign and an air sign work together. We understand how like fire consumes air, needs air to live, right? Like they work together. Mm-hmm. And then earth and uh, water are compatible and the earth and water signs are the more feminine the yin signs and the um air and fire signs are the masculine yang signs so we're talking about you know energies and archetypes not um, gender or specific people or anything like that just that like there's this kind yeah. of Duality to a lot of things on this planet. And um, the sextile relationship is not uh, like the trine relationship is between the same element. So an earth trine is right. harmony. Virgo, Capricorn, Taurus. They're all earth signs. They are, they totally, yeah. like it's full harmony. I get you. Yeah. But the sextile yeah. is like, we can really work together, but it does take a little effort on both of our parts. But it, it's very, yeah, off, it's almost right? better. Yeah, they're, yeah, exactly. They're 60 degrees apart. Um, 
the minor aspects, and there are two in particular that we're going to discuss this episode, um, aren't generally that important in mundane astrology, except when we come to Pluto and Neptune and Uranus, these outer planets that spend so many years, right? Um, so that makes the semi-sextile and the semi-square more important. And so a semi-sextile is half of a sextile, which is, so a sextile is 60. Um, that Half of that is 30 degrees. So it's when a planets are at 30 degrees apart so they're just like mm -hmm. one sign away yeah um, uh, so there's a kind of a vibe of in syncness about a semi-sextile but mm -hmm. um, when mm -hmm. it becomes exact it can have impact especially when it sees outer, outer planets and a semi-square is 45 degrees so you can imagine that a square is 90 degrees and a semi-square is 45 degrees and it has like a lot of the same vibe of a square. It's, it's friction, mm -hmm. it's uh, needing to make an adjustment, it's uh, two countervailing points of view. Yeah. Not necessarily opposed to each other, but like there's, it's the friction that requires that's, that's, that initiates uh, change is a square, yeah. and so well, a semi-square is like kind of half of that. You're halfway opposing me, so we have right. to. Or semi-square is eighth of a way opposing you. Yeah, exactly. Work together. Yeah, yeah. You're not. You're, you're halfway <clears throat> between opposing me. You're not aligned. You're not. Um, but you're not exactly like completely oppositional. You're yeah, you're halfway in between. You'll have to compromise. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to point out that in 1947, Pluto and Neptune were in this loose uh, sextile aspect. Um, that actually is pretty tight. Um, Pluto was in the fire sign of Leo and Neptune was in the air sign of Libra. Um, and mm -hmm. as we all know, Pluto just currently in 2024 went into the air sign of Aquarius. Aquarius. And where's Neptune? Neptune is currently in the water sign of Pisces. So it's, not oh. in aspect to Pluto at the beginning of Aquarius, but it will be moving into Aries in 2026. And so when it moves into early Aries, and Pluto will still be in the beginning of Aquarius, Neptune will then be in the fire sign of Aries at the beginning of that. And that will be 60 degrees in away from the air sign of Aquarius. And Pluto and Neptune will begin forming that exact sextile again. So um, we're moving in, what year? in 2026. 2026. So we're, we're on okay. the pathway to the next kind of exact 
um, sextile for these two planets. Um, that's just a little foreshadowing. Um, and yeah, we want to talk about Pluto and Neptune cycles in this episode because um, they have a lot to do with the UFO phenomenon and some other things as well. But um, <clears throat> first of all, to talk about the Pluto-Neptune cycle, what do I mean by that? That is a... Um, 500 year cycle that begins with the conjunction and that is when Pluto and Neptune are together at a point in the zodiac and then 500 years later they will come together at a different point in the zodiac and Pluto has a 248 degree 248 year sorry cycle Mm -hmm. and Neptune has like 165 years or something like that um, so I always think of it kind of like a spirograph, like, yeah, when these outermost planets take so long and hang out in these aspects for such extended time periods, the smaller aspects in the cycle take on greater significance and can be markers for the crescendo moments of the themes that get planted at the conjunction. So now I want to introduce you to a really Luck, really fucking amazing resource. It's called the World Astrology Report. Um, there's a YouTube channel, and also you can follow Dan Waits, this astrologer, on Substack. Um, and the World Astrology Report is uh, dedicated to producing mundane astrology reports, but they are still really like highly produced. They have great production values, and he's a really data-driven astrologer and um, really takes into account lots of um, thinkers from the past, but is interested in studying the patterns of society and culture and drawing mm. these collaboration, uh, these connections, these correlations between um, astrological events and human culture. Um, so I, he's one of my favorite astrologers and I love the world astrology part with him and SJ Anderson and like they do a ton of great work. I suggest you check them out because like if you want to deep dive, do it. Um, I was super excited to learn that when I, I went into researching like the astrology of UFOs, um, it's a little bit of a pet project for one of my favorite astrologers, Dan Waits. And so um, I've borrowed a lot from his thinking because every topic that I was like, oh, I wonder if this is related to UFOs. I went and like, oh, gosh, Dan's already done all this deep research and has. And yes. So um, anyway. <clears throat> Great, great, great stuff. Um, he's also, he's got a gorgeous voice. <laughs> so soothing, British voice. Um, yeah. Just like my voice tonight. Exactly like your voice tonight. That's good. Kathleen Turner. Okay, so... Um, <clears throat> What I learned, like, I'm obviously not going to cover everything that Dan covers in these, like, six series, six episode series about UFOs and astrology and 
the 2020s, like, you gotta, like, deep dive it. But I pulled out some themes. Um, the, there are three themes that I wanted to highlight um, of the Pluto-Neptune cycle that are kind of concurrent. That's all we can say. And that is um, okay. UFOs and nuclear technology and uh, occultism. Uh-huh. So there are three, those are three kind of major themes. There are others that are definitely linked to this cycle, but those are the three that I want to highlight tonight. Um, so there you go. Okay. And um, we're going to look at the Pluto-Neptune cycle and those three themes. And like, um, I do want to, pivot now to just talk about the 1947 which is our year for this uh, Zodiac yeah. back um, and in 1947 we had a very major obviously um, it was like kind of the height of the um, UFO phenomenon and the flying disc craze as it was <laughs> called mm-hmm. um, 1947 of course we know about Roswell um, but before that about a month before that, uh, Kenneth Arnold was a pilot who saw nine flying orbs or flying disks above Mount Rainier in Washington, uh, Washington State. And so reporting about that was the first time that the term flying saucer really came into uh, parlance. So that was... Um, that happened in June, and then in July we had Roswell, which was the reported crash, uh, like a yeah. rancher reported a crash, and then... Debris. Yes, and the Roswell Air Force Base um, reported initially to the press that they had recovered an alien crash vehicle and um, bodies, and then the next day they pulled it all back and oh, said it was a weather balloon. Exactly. So we were familiar <laughs> with that. Um, yeah. There was a, a flight, Flight 105, Alaska, uh, what, American Airlines, I think, Flight 105, where, like, all the passengers oh. saw um, some uh, flying orbs. Um, and I think that I was... I didn't know that. I think that was after Kenneth... Um, Arnold, but before Roswell, not sure about that. But anyway, there's a there's possibly thousands of sightings of unidentified flying objects as they were known during this year, mm-hmm. um, and so that was the 1947 of it. There, it Ooh. was um, right. There were also some hoaxes that year. Well, but, sure. Um, that can happen. Right. Who, uh, to be assumed. Um, <laughs> and in nuclear technology that year, um, this was just like, you know, right after the U.S. had unleashed uh, nuclear bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And Roswell Air Force Base was uh, yeah. not known at that time, but it was home to the Air, the 509th which was the, um, the, whatever it's called, uh, group that did conduct the bombing 
And so it was the only nuclear base in um, military nuclear base in the U.S. at that time um, in Roswell. And so. Um, OK, this was one instance of many uh, where UFOs were sighted around. um Sorry, sighted around um, nuclear bases or um, technology. What was going on in 1947 was that the only nuclear military base that the U.S. had was in Roswell, New Mexico. Wasn't widely known, but coincidence that this is the site of this crash? Probably not. Um, that's the point. Um, and they were attracted to the research. Yeah. Well, there are theories and I'll get to this a little bit later, but there are theories that, um, the UFO phenomenon is attracted to our nuclear activity and that there is perhaps, you know, perhaps they are coming to save us from ourselves. And, like, right. that's the I hopeful be thought, right? thinking the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, these dumbasses are getting way too close yeah. to something that is, yeah. yeah. So this they is... Can't, they can't handle the truth. I just Yes, exactly. This is the three <laughs> themes for, in 1947, like, the three themes that, uh, the Pluto-Neptune themes. UFOs nuclear and the occult so i want to get to the third one which is the occult in 1947 and you mentioned this in the timeline twist um (laughs) our friend alistair crowley died that year 1947 and we were like oh gosh we got to do some research and learn about him well i was so excited to find that my friend dan waits included him in his UFOs and nukes. Coincidence. Yeah, I Think mean, not. right? Am I just a finger on the pulse, right? Right. Um, so, um, how handy was that? Um, I did a little bit of research. Clearly, there's a lot more to do, and we'll come back to this topic. But um, mm-hmm. as a symbol of the occult, um, for today, I found that the great cultural thinker John Michael Ozzy Osbourne in his 1980 tribute song from his first solo album, Blizzard of Oz, was able to encapsulate Crowley, a.k.a. the Beast 666. Um, yes, even though Thank Ozzy, you. Even though Ozzy wasn't born until December of 1948, so like next, the next year, um, That's okay. I really found his... Uh, biographical song to resonate. Yeah. Um, and here's why. This is from uh, the Wikipedia or Wikipedia article about Ozzy uh, under the category controversies. Controversy. Mm-hmm. Throughout his career, many religious groups have accused Osborne of being a negative influence on teenagers, stating that his genre of rock music has been used to glorify Satanism. Scholar Christopher M. Mormon compared the controversy to those leveled against the occultist Aleister Crowley. Both were demonized by the media and some religious groups for their antics. Although Osborne tempts the comparison with his song Mr. Crowley, he denies being a Satanist. Conversely, 
It has been reported that Osborne is a member of the Church of England and that he prays before taking the stage each night before every concert. <laughs> Give me a break. Now, here's the lyric. I want to share with you the lyric about Aleister Crowley um, with a couple of notes. Um, I decided to read it not in the voice of Ozzy Osbourne, um, <laughs> but rather in okay. the voice of a different Osbourne, um, because I'm going to do my Churchill again later, and it's a little similar. Um, okay. Okay. My okay. Sharon Osborne is a lot better, and I just wanted you to be able to understand what I was saying. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. Um, There's a distinction. There. Yeah. Imagine a Kihlerher organ solo, uh, which is this is the number twenty-three best metal song ever, and the number twenty-eight best metal guitar solo ever song. So just imagine that. Yeah. And I'm ready. Here we go. Mr. Crowley, what went on in your head? Oh, Mr. Crowley, did you talk with the dead? Your life to me seems so tragic with the thrill of it all. You fooled all the people with magic. Yeah, you waited on Satan's call. Mr. Charming, did you think you were pure, Mr. Alarming? In nocturnal rapport, uncovering things that were sacred, manifest on this earth? Oh, conceived in the eye of a secret, yeah, and they scattered the afterbirth. Guitar solo. <laughs> Mr. Crowley, won't you ride my white horse? Mr. Crowley, it's symbolic, of course. Approaching a time that is classic. I hear that maiden's call. Approaching a time that is drastic. Standing with their backs at that wall. Guitar solo. Was it polemically sent? I want to know what you meant. I want to know. I want to know what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> the end. Um, I know. Couple of notes. I had to look up polemically. Um, which Merriam-Webster says of or related to polemic, colon, controversy. 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 Um, and then so in this real song, Ozzy pronounces it as owly, like as an owl, like Mr. Crowley. What went on in your head? Oh, Mr. Crowley. So it's pretty bitchin', but, um, I have learned that the correct pronunciation is crow aka you didn't ah, the me. six 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 crow. last week what i like it either way yeah it doesn't matter i to called me. him alistair Crow crowley i didn't what? know i didn't know until now i didn't look yeah. it up until after um and it doesn't matter but i, I did wrong yeah it does it did seem like <laughs> I like it's crow, it's crowley, Mr. Crowley. I do too, actually. Ah. I like it better. Yeah. Um, 
But it sounds but better in, in a song. In my defense, I said someone who I need to know more about. Yeah. And then mispronounced his name. Well, I think so. we can blame Ozzy for any mispronunciations because <laughs> I think that was probably in my subconscious, that song. I don't, well, yeah, yeah sure. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... That was 1947. He passed away. Um, The current Neptune-Pluto cycle, which is like a 500-year cycle, began Mm -hmm. in the 1890s. There was a conjunction in 1891 and 1992. And why do I say it happened in two years? Because it happened multiple times because planets go retrograde. So, And planets will move into those exact conjunctions and out of them and in and out as they retrograde back and forth but they also Mm -hmm. are kind of moving it's not like they're either it's not a toggle they're not on off they are moving it's stronger and stronger and lessening and lessening so just picture kind of a graph that goes up and down like a sine wave um right so it's not it's 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 more of a continuum not a switch yes yeah so the 1890s was the conjunction of our our current cycle it happened in gemini um and this was the beginning of the atomic age where we discovered the electron and it was also the important yeah it was also in the world of ufos it was the first major sighting of airships this thing was called the mystery airship phenomenon or phantom airship. Um, and this was an airship that thousands of people across the United States claimed to have observed during late 1896 and early 1897. Um, Damn. Typical airship reports involved nighttime sightings of unidentified lights, but more detailed accounts reported ships comparable to a dirigible. Mystery airship reports are seen as a cultural predecessor to modern claims of extraterrestrial piloted flying saucer-styled UFOs. Um, Did I mention that was the first time that they used the term flying saucer when Kenneth Arnold saw it at Mount Rainier? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think so, yeah. Reports of alleged crewmen and pilots usually describe them as human-looking, although sometimes the crew claim to be from Mars. Um, oh. It was popularly believed that they were the product of some inventor or genius who was not ready to make the knowledge of his creation public. Um, anyway, so this was a real phenomenon that happened um, in 1896 and 1897. A bunch of people saw these this thing, um, and then it kind of took sight, took hold in the popular imagination um predecessor to the ufos of what we know today so that's what i was talking about in the 1890s and that was the time of the pluto neptune conjunction in gemini it was also the time of the discovery of the electron so we're starting to uncover the structure of the atom and in the Mm -hmm. occult sphere this was like 
the heyday of the theosophists and um, some of the stuff that we talked about in 1856 that was starting to kind of come together with that uh, Neptune and Jupiter conjunction in Pisces, where it's like very dreamy and spiritual, um, Mm -hmm. by Pluto and Neptune conjunction in the 1890s, it's got more rigor and structure and it is like Madame Blavatsky and, you know, there's more power kind of, Pluto brings power and there's like Mm -hmm. some kind of power dynamics and especially with Aleister Crowley, like very much so about power over and um, so I think that's just kind of an interesting parallel Um, so that was the beginning of our current cycle that's we're 130 so years into a 500 year cycle Um, by the 19 teens um, we've moved into the semi-sextile aspect which is a 30 degrees apart so 1914 to 17 So that's the time period we'd be talking about next. And this, I think, is when in... They're 30 degrees apart. Yeah, exactly. They are one-twelfth, you know, it represents a twelfth wedge of the pie. Um, In nuclear technology, I think this is when we discover the, the proton. So... This is the proton mm. is discovered during this time. And then in UFOs, um, we, uh, this has since come to be considered part of the UFO phenomenon, but we talked about in our 1917 story in the timeline twist about the, um, the visitation of the Virgin Mary to the, the shepherd children at Fatima uh, yeah. in Portugal. In Portugal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that was, if you read the descriptions of that event, like it was an orb of light and lights in the sky. She predicted to the children that she would be back on October 13th. And then thousands of people witnessed this event that was described as like a spinning sun, an opaque sun disc spinning in the sky. And like, you know, so very Mm -hmm. extraterrestrial. Um, so that happened in 1917, yeah. and in the world of the occult, we had um, Alistair Crowley move to the U.S. in 1914 and um, started his religion, the Thelema, and then in 1917, he did the Amalantra working, where he, like, summoned um, a, like, off-planet being and... Um, I forgot what it was called, but he drew a picture of it and it looks exactly like a gray alien. Like it's, a, Ew, you know, the grays. so it was just like, you know, 30 years before that came into the popular mm-hmm. consciousness. But like some people have speculated that maybe he opened a portal by doing this working of his magic or, or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, I, I don't mean, know. that's. Interesting I if that was the first drawing of a gray. Right? Those yeah. are fucking... Why did he invite that? Nightmarish. So, that's the 19-teens kind of uh, semi-sextile. Um, and then by the 1930s, we'd moved into the semi-square, the 45-degree aspect. Um, the 1930s, we saw the discovery of the neutron. We just saw, saw the discovery of Pluto. We saw, um, 
huge developments in uh, nuclear technology, as we know. Uh-huh. Um, and in uh, UFOs, we had, um, I believe, the Vatican officially stated that the uh, visit, what is it called? Like the visitation of the sun or something, whatever they called the the miracle of the sun, the Fatima thing, they, in the, in 1930s, the Vatican declared it supernatural. Um, oh. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Um, All right, Vatican. Right? I don't know. I can't remember what was going on in the occult in 1930s, other than, like, I know that, um... You know, all those fascists were into that shit, well, too. Well, I was just thinking, like, all I know about the 30s is Hitler. Fucking fascists. Yeah, so the square, the semi-square is gross, and it's like the square. Mm. I'm happy that we get to live in the, like, decades-long sextile, Pluto-Neptune <laughs> sextile. Like, we're sure. going to we're gonna go out that way. We're not going to see the next... We're not going to see the square. Thank heavens. Um <laughs> Uh, and then, like, 1940s, uh, we had, obviously, the development and deployment of nuclear weapons. Um, we had, mm-hmm. in during World War II, this was the first modern kind of UFO sighting was the Foo Fighters, which you might be familiar with, which were these, like, balls of light that were spotted by these pilots, both Allied and Axis-powered pilots spotted these um, orbs of light flying around their nuclear armed airplanes. Damn. In like 44. Um, so that's where the band got their name. Foo Fighters. Great story. We can do that when we do 1944. Uh, whatever <laughs> year it was. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of like the first thing Um and yeah, and then as regards the occult, Aleister Crowley died that year, but also um, mm-hmm. Stalin and the Nazis, and you know, there's all kinds of like rumored. Um, Bunch of Rudy Huxtables. The, the spirit of Wotan and all this kind of stuff, you know, like it's, we don't need to get into it. So I only have a little bit more I just wanted to share about. Um, 1947, um, this was kind of the beginning of the Cold War, and it was Mm -hmm. the beginning of a lot of kind of Cold War agencies, in particular the CIA. I came across this article that was um, the CIA inception chart and then an analysis of this chart, and I thought it was fascinating because this analysis broke it down by, like, you know... How many how many placements does it have in um, certain modalities like fixed or mutable or cardinal? How many placements does it have in da da da? But what I found most fascinating was that it had a heavy emphasis on yin elements. So, meaning as we were discussing before, the CIA did. Yeah, the CIA chart has a really oh. feminine, yin-heavy chart. And I thought that was really interesting. I have a couple of quotes that just 
stuck out to me. This is from CIA's role in the study of UFOs, 1947 to 1990. Quote, background, the emergence in 1947 of the Cold War confrontation between the United States and the Soviet Union also saw the first wave of UFO sightings. The first report of a flying saucer over the United States came on 24 June 1947 when Kenneth Arnold, a private pilot and reputable businessman, while looking for a downed plane, sighted nine disc-shaped ob objects near Mount Rainier, Washington, traveling at an estimated speed of over 1,000 miles per hour. Holy shit. Arnold's report was followed by a flood of additional sightings, including reports from military and civilian pilots and air traffic controllers all over the United States. In 1948, Air Force General Nathan Twining, head of the Air Technical Service Command, established Project SIGN, S-I-G-N, initially named Project Saucer, to collect, <laughs> collate, evaluate, and distribute within the government all information relating to such sightings on the premise that UFOs might be real and of national security concern. Um, so it's like kind of the beginning of the CIA looking into UFOs. And this is from mm -hmm. Reason.com. Quote, experience the CIA and the occult by James Davidson. It is seldom put this way, of course, but the parallels between the use of knowledge by the political elite of the CIA and that by the elites of the mystic cults is clear. In both cases, the gnosis or supreme knowledge is reserved to a few and is seldom, if ever, explicitly stated. One attains it indirectly by inference. The secret agents like mystic <laughs> the secret agents like mystic initiates of old operate in a never-never land of magic code words where no one has a comprehensive rational understanding of what he is doing. The first premise of the occult is nothing is as meets the eye. By its ledger sure. domain, the CIA has apparently convinced large segments of the public that many important things are other than they appear to be. The very foundations of the public's sense of reality have been shaken. We shall have to live for a long time with the goblins, which are crawling out through the cracks. I just think that's funny and, like, very dramatical, but, like, yeah, the CIA is secretive. Got yeah. it. Got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it's a way that the it shows up in the astrology. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. If this is too yeah. long, I'll cut that out. But and I just have a little bit more about 1947. Um, Winston Churchill's back. Woo! Woo! You were right about him. <laughs> he was cool in some ways. Um, yeah. He was really into science. He's like very, very into science. So I think that was really mm -hmm. cool. And he was smart and he was a thinker and he was, he tried to stay abreast of, of uh, discoveries and stuff. Um, so in the late fifties, he revised this essay that he wrote in 1939. Um, and it was not published and it was uncovered, unpublished in 2017. Um, oh shit. At this, like, U.S. National Churchill Museum, which is apparently in Missouri. So, like, we should look that up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 2017, by the way, was a big year for UFO disclosure. Um, yeah, yeah. I, right, so. Yeah. But anyway, this essay by Churchill came out 
that year as well. In Missouri. Yeah, there's a long story about how it ended up in the possession of this museum. Why there's a Churchill Museum in Missouri, I don't know. I don't don't, know. We'd need to go. I know! Sponsor us. So this essay is entitled, Are We Alone in the Universe? Um, By Winston Churchill. Uh, and then I, re- I read about this in this uh, nature.com article by Mario Livio. Um, and Mario says, the essay finishes eagerly. With hundreds of thousands of nebulae, each containing thousands of millions of souls, the odds are enormous that there must be immense numbers which possess planets whose circumstances would not render life impossible. Here Churchill shows that he was familiar with the findings of astronomer Edwin Hubble in the late 1920s and early 1930s, who discovered that there are many galaxies beyond the Milky Way, about two trillion according to a recent estimate. Taking a bleaker turn that reflects his times, Churchill adds, I, for one, am not so immensely impressed by the success we are making of our civilization here that I am prepared to think we are the only spot in this immense universe which contains living, thinking creatures or that we are the highest type of mental and physical development which has ever appeared in the vast compass of space and time. Uh, end quote. Um, but I think it's cool. He's like, I am not so impressed with what we're doing here to think that uh, we're the only ones in the universe. This yeah. isn't that great. I'm kind of disappointed. And so, like, he gives me... You know, I didn't think I was going to come out of doing this podcast liking Churchill more, but... Than George Washington, <laughs> in fact. So that I thought it was fun that there was a Winston chi- uh, Churchill tie-in. Yeah. Um, as we progressed through, like, the 1960s, it was, like, peak... There was so many UFO sightings and then as we discussed before we started recording the first abduction story happened in 1961 Mm. and and then you know as the end of the Cold War happened and as the Pluto Neptune sextile came came further out of orb and um, there just stopped being as many stories about abductions and then we had in 2001 we had 9-11 and it was like there were just kind of more real things to to talk about um um but the ufo phenomenon is not only affiliated just with this like pluto neptune cycle um it's also kind of linked with pluto in aquarius um in some ways and as we found out most recently, when we had Pluto in Aquarius in 2023, it was there for like 11 weeks from mm-hmm. like mid-March to whatever, June or something like that. Um, that's when we had this guy named David Grush come forward who claimed to have information. He actually didn't claim. He testified 
under oath in front of Congress. Oh, I saw this shit. Yeah. About how the U.S. government has, among other things, has the, uh, recovered all these crash vehicles and bodies and stuff. And so it's moving towards what ufologists like to call disclosure. Don't think we're going to get there probably until we reach that exact sex style again, at least. But yeah. I just think it's like super interesting that um, that happened when Pluto was in Aquarius back last year. And then just this month, as Pluto has moved back into Aquarius, we've had more hearings in Congress about UFO phenomenon. So going on like just these past couple of weeks. Um, mm-hmm. So... I think it's interesting. Um, I think we're going to find out a lot more. And, um, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, but it was yeah. fascinating for me to look at, um, to discover that this is a topic that other astrologers are really, it's a really hot topic right now. Um, UFOs. And UFOs and the Pluto-Neptune cycle. Um, yeah. that we're part of. Uh, so, yeah. That's that's it. That's the Zodiac back, basically. Woo! 47. So, uh, we, at the end of last episode, decided that the word for the year was tense. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. still think that's the word? Oh, yes. I think so. I think that also, like, after doing all this reading, and I didn't share with you about, um, I mean, I'm going to get into more Richard Tarnas later, but anyway. um, After reading about this year, I think that um, I'm more and more convinced that whatever these UAPs, UFOs are, um, they have a specific interest in our nuclear technology. And they're in like the sixties, there was an instance of, um, these, uh, UFOs surrounding and disarming a nuclear missile like flying alongside it and like shooting beams of light and disarming it. You know, I just think that it was a tense fucking time. Yeah. And yes, I think it was tense. I think Pluto Neptune aspects are tense. Um, Yeah. And there was some other tense stuff going on astrology wise for sure that year. I just I kind of just plucked this. I felt like it was interesting up. that we chose a word for the year. Maybe mm. that's something we will revisit. Um, yeah. But good job. That was awesome. And thanks. Next week we have a whole new year. Yes. Do we have a, do you have a clue? We, if anybody wants to try to like predict next year. Well, it's the 19th century. 19th century. That's all you're going to get. And um, 
I have a segment of the timeline twist, a carousing segment. So we're going to talk about some parties. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Hey, you hear that? Carousing. All right. People, how they yeah. caroused. How they caroused in the 19th century. Yeah. You, you guess. Who knows? Um, should be fun. Should be a good time. Um, thanks for listening. If you're all the way here at the end, you made it all the way. Thanks yeah. so much. Great uh, review. Subscribe. Hope you join us into our second decade of episodes. Uh, next week, episode XI. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. We yeah. love you. We ain't a woman. You Ain't a Woofin is brought to you by 4702 Productions. Thank you for listening. If you have comments, story ideas, or would like to reach out, email us at youain'tawoofin at gmail.com. Everything you need to know can be found at youain'tawoofinpod.com. All art and design by Valerie. All music and editing by Amy Joe. We are a 100% independent podcast. Support us on Patreon at You Ain't a Wolfen Pod. Also, please rate, review, share, and subscribe. We love you, and we ain't a wolfen.